everyone, and thank you for tuning in to Arvada High School's very first, but so far untitled podcast. I'm Jeremy Jensen, the current host of this new endeavor, and I'm really looking forward to connecting with a range of people at Arvada throughout the school year and next to hear their stories, uh, find out what they're working on, and just more. Um, the idea of starting this par- podcast was born out of the idea that communities really grow stronger through storytelling and building deeper relationships. My hope is that by listening to a variety of stories from our Bulldogs themselves, we'll have an ability to grow this connection um, in a stronger way that's hopefully also accessible to everyone out there and maybe even learn a few things from each other along the way. I'd really like to hopefully spark further conversations professionally and personally um, between you all and the people that are interviewed in this podcast. So each week I'll sit down with staff, students, families, um, mostly staff I think in the beginning, um, and it could be either in person or virtually, um, just to kind of hear their stories and where they're coming from. The general structure um, I'm thinking is going to be a bit Christmas Carol-esque where I want to talk about people's past and what brought them to education, what brought them to Arvada, um, and then about what what they're currently working on, what their present is looking like, um, what what they're struggling with, what their successes are, um, and then sort of wrapping that up with um, some of their future plans and goals as they move forward. Eventually, I'd like to chat with everyone on staff at least once. might not all be this year, but know that I'll be reaching out to you at some point down the road to hopefully connect and schedule a meeting. Um, We can do that in person or via Zoom, whichever is your preference at that current time. Um, I'll also eventually invite students, parents, maybe community members to join in and learn their stories as well. really excited about our first guest, John Selar. I had the opportunity to meet with him on July 8th of 2020, so it was right in the middle of the summer of our pandemic. Um, We're just so lucky to have John on our staff. He brings a really grounded and thoughtful teaching style to all of his classes. Last year, he taught computer science and AP Lang, as well as a freshman wheel course on STEM. Uh, This coming school year, he'll be uh, mostly or exclusively CTE, so he'll be teaching computer programming, digital digital electronics, and an AP computer science course. Uh, He'll also be running our brand new CLS STEM lab, which is located in the back of our LMC, and he talks about that in the podcast and how he hopes that teachers are going to be able to access that lab as well. In our interview, John talks a lot about his successes and goals and designing projects, he talks about engaging students and what he does to um, su- support them in persevering in their work. He talks about equity in his classroom, remote learning, and just a lot more. I want to mention that last year, NewTech named John as Echo Agendas um, as being sort of model examples of what they would expect a veteran new tech teacher to be able to do. So his Echo Agendas are really great if you ever wanted to reach out to him for some of his ideas of what he does to make them so accessible for students. Um, He really is full of great wisdom and advice. It was a real treat to sit down with him and pick his brain. I hope that you find our conversation as interesting as I did. So without further ado, here is our first interview. Yeah. Well, um, John, welcome and thank you so much for being my first guest here on this uh, hey, Embark. I'm always up for being a guinea pig. So <laughs> uh, yeah, so um, I just have a few questions, um, or actually more than a few questions that sure. I'm going to fire away at you, and so a lot of high stakes to answer them correctly, these questions. Okay, <laughs> the pressure is on. I hope I have prepared adequately for this. <laughs> <laughs> just kidding. I want you to just um, answer honestly and from your heart. And um, the whole goal here, I think, is just to get people um, at our school, um, mostly our staff or teachers and whatnot, to get to know you and eventually, hopefully, everybody else on staff at a deeper level. Um, a little bit more. Cool. That sounds like a plan. All right. So, uh, sort of, um, why education for you? Like, why? What caused you to jump into this field? 
Uh, I've always tried to explain this in some sort of coherent way, and I guess I'll, I'll start like when I was in school, like college and grad school, and then that it kind of makes sense because it's been sort of a circuitous path how I got to where I am. Um, I graduated college majoring in technical writing in Spanish and Portuguese, and I at that time I was like, I am going to be a professor of linguistics, which is the study of language. That was really cool. Um, I liked the idea of being a professor. That would be kind of fun. Um, I had never taught before at that point, but I thought that would be uh, awesome and interesting. So I ended up in graduate school uh, in uh, Chicago at the University of Chicago, and I was on my way to get a PhD in linguistics to be a researcher in that field. It's a very, um, just a very uh, pencil and paper and very uh, life of the mind kind of thing. And uh, after my first two years in the program, I started having these doubts like, is this what I really want to do? Do I really like the field? I would go to conferences and I'm like, I have no desire to listen to anything that anybody has to say. I have no idea what's going on. Like, it's not interesting anymore. Um, but as many graduate students uh, are asked to do, I was pressed into service to TA for a couple of classes and I really enjoyed um, helping other uh, students out. There were undergraduates, there were graduate students um, in those courses and uh, just being able to explain something in a different way uh, was really cool. Um, a couple of years passed where I was supposed to be working on qualifying papers and dissertations and that wasn't really fruitful um, and so I uh, ended up working um, as a lot of people do as an adjunct instructor at like local colleges because um, they figured well you're on your way to getting your PhD you might as well uh, you, you were qualified enough so I was actually teaching Spanish um, at uh, uh, two local colleges in Chicago um, and uh, really loved it um, after a while, uh, I realized, you know what, I'm not going to finish this PhD thing in linguistics. It's not going to work out. Let's like pull the plug and like get a job and like go from there because I can't keep adjuncting forever. Uh, I'm sure a lot of our coworkers have have done that adjunct circuit thing before, and it's not something that you can live on full time. So I had to sort of grow up and and do that. So um, I ended up finding uh, full-time employment as a manager of uh, language services for a company that helped move people internationally. So again, it was like related to education, but not uh, you know directly in the classroom. So I saw that point is where I left like the college classroom for a little while. Um, and then uh, did that for a couple of years. And then a couple of years after that, um, I um, worked for a test prep company uh, preparing students. And, and this was in Chicago still. For the ACT, a lot of work um, doing that, and so um, all along the while, I was um, I was managing uh, their software um, uh, projects um, in, in grad school. I really got into uh, software engineering, and, and I was going to hopefully be a professor of computational linguistics. That's where the technology thing comes in. Um, and you know, working with students and working with families and working with schools, I was like, you know what, I really belong back in the classroom. Like, I am tired of making, because ultimately we were a privately owned business, we had to make people money. And so when people asked me like, what do you do? And it took you know, a long time to explain what was going on. Um, I was like, and, and, and ultimately I'm making money for other people and indirectly helping students. I was like, you know, we gotta, we gotta rethink this this whole proposition. So um, I went back and got my teaching license. It was one of those career changer programs, even though I didn't really think I was changing careers. I was just kind of going back to what I was doing, only with like real formal training. So um, went back to get my teaching license uh, as a Spanish teacher or teacher of Spanish um, and uh, went through the whole program, did the student teaching and then um, started looking for jobs and at that time there were no jobs to be found and the company enticed me to stay on for like another year helping out and then the following year I went back out in the market applied at the school that was like three blocks from my house and got the job um, not as a Sp teacher of Spanish but actually they had four sections of technology open uh, with a section of Spanish one so 
Uh, that's how I got into education in this very sort of roundabout sort of a way. I usually try to abbreviate that in like two or three sentences. And <laughs> are just like, what? Uh, but that's kind of like how I got there. So this is probably over the course of like 12 years that this was all like shaken out. So. <laughs> all right. So like you, you sort of like found your way through just like kind of experiences. What, what, what then has made you sort of stay and stick to education? I think it's, it's this every year is a new beginning. Um, and so, you know, in, in the, in working for a company, there's really no, you have projects and they come to an end, but it just kind of goes on forever. I like the predictability of kind of the shape of, a, of an academic year. You know, it's like the excitement, we're right now in the you know, beginning of July, ramping up for the excitement that's gonna happen in August. And we know what everything's gonna look like. We're making all these good plans and then things get started and then we kind of figure out things. And then, you know, that October, November spell hits and things kind of suck for a little bit. And then, you know, we get through, get to Thanksgiving, things are amazing and we end the, the fall semester, have a refreshing break in the winter and then the spring starts up again and um you know just that 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 just kind of like the the energy um the other part that um really i think is one of the main reasons i switched in um is this whole idea of like what do you do what do you make um and it, there's a really good um it's either a ted talk or a youtube video one of those things out there um and you know people like they work in their jobs and they make money or they make widgets or products and stuff and like the work that we do in education is not we're not making anything we're influencing people to be their very best and so that's one of the cool things like when i think about what i quote make um i'm hopefully making an impression on people in their formative stages of life and they'll remember like the um the little tidbits of like advice or wisdom or whatever it is that that they were able to get from me uh, whether that's something content wise or just sort of life lesson wise or, or whatnot so um, when we think about what we do it's what we make it's not we're making a product or a widget or money or anything like that it's we're shaping lives and I know it sounds kind of cliche and corny but that's really what we're doing mm -hmm. and so after I'm hoping after a you know, 30 year career, I can look back and look at all the students that I touched. I don't think that sounds corny at all. I feel like uh, this will be a hard act to follow actually from this. Um, I feel like you know, just the reasons of being here and continuing to like, you know, sell this sort of like product in this like right. deep way is awesome. So good on you. Yeah, don't get me wrong, it's like hard. Like there are days where I'm like, what am I doing? Like this is insane. Like it could, life would be so much easier. Go to a you know go to a job. Like do your job. Um, you don't necessarily leave your job behind, but um, just the it's in a, it's a very emotional profession, mm -hmm. and that's one of the reasons that I've also stayed in. It's a, for me, it's a profession. It's a career mm -hmm. rather than just a job. Um, and so you've got to be all in. It sounds like you have something to compare it to, right? Like you had a career before yeah. and different jobs, and so now you know, yeah. like that this is a better fit or like this is the right fit, right? And it, you know, some I think it took me thirty-five years to figure out that it was a good fit. Um, mm -hmm. So, yeah. <laughs> um, so tell me a little bit about Arvada specifically. Like, what, um, what, what was your path to specifically get to Arvada? Um, again, a little circuitous. I, I taught for two years in Chicago and then um, it, it sort of came time my husband and I sat down and we were like, you know, I, was, I had been in Chicago for 15 years at that point and he grew up there. And so um, we we're like, Is, we better find, figure out something. Um, you know, if we're gonna stay here and kind of like live this life or do we wanna do something completely different? Um, and so we decided, you know what, let's, let's look, let's look to move. Um, he was like 40 at the time I was 35, 36. And so we were like, if we don't like pull this trigger, like we are going to be here for good. Mm -hmm. Um, and so, um, we decided to move, um, his job would, you know, more than likely move us rather than you know, teaching jobs. Sometimes they like will help move you or, but usually not. So. 
Um, so we, we looked around and um, uh, Colorado was actually not on the radar at all. And so, um, but an opportunity for him came up and, and so I, uh, that summer of 2016 was scrambling in Chicago, the hiring season's really early or really late, like June, July would be like the time you go look for a job. In the Colorado Denver metro area, I realized that all the jobs had been filled. So I was like scrambling at the last minute. I ended up getting a job teaching English um, at Denver South. Um, one of their longtime uh, uh, faculty members uh, had retired after I think four years of teaching. And that job conveniently came open in the beginning of June. And so um, I thankfully ended up there and loved it for three years. But um, you know, we ended up moving to Jefferson County. And so um, I wanted to find work in Jeffco specifically because I believed like if I pay taxes in a certain area, I, I want to work in that area. It's sort of being closer to the community. I live in Lakewood, so it's not close to Arvada, but it's close enough for me. Um, the other thing is I was hoping to plug into a well-established um, STEM program. And so uh, I had seen that they were um, at the time advertising, we were building out a brand new STEM lab in the library. Uh, that is like the coolest thing um, to plug into. Um, and so, because um, it would just be an opportunity to reach students in a, in a, in a really cool, um, hands-on, project-based, problem-solving sort of a way. So, um, so I was like, yeah, I gotta apply for that job. Um, it also, um, you know, it, it just seemed like a really, like when I walked in the, the, the door, everyone was super friendly and welcoming. They'd actually had two students tour me around, race, uh, I forgot what his last name is. But um, I was like, yeah, okay, the kids seem like cool here. So, um, and they were more nervous than I was. So, um, and so uh, I thought, yeah, this is gonna, this is gonna be a pretty good fit. So, um, so yeah, I jumped on it and, here I am. Awesome. Well, we are um, very fortunate to have you as one of our facilitators <laughs> in Atarvada. Um, I know our students like absolutely love you. Um, I remember um, a time where I came up to observe and the students specifically before I left, and I don't think I've remember many times this happening before, but they made a point of stopping me and saying, make sure you give Mr. Silar a really good um, rating. Oh, oh, that's <laughs> funny. I have no idea. That's crazy. So, uh, so they really appreciate what you And I, I promise I did not bribe any of them. <laughs> no, I could tell. Like, or no, threaten. Was, uh, <laughs> I knew it was like really legit because like oh. everybody in their little group was like kind of chimed in and mm -hmm. said something similarly. So what, what do you feel like, uh, kind of transitioning, like we sure. just talked a lot about your past and mm -hmm. I want to know now specifically about your time at Arvada, especially like with instruction but um, what are you most proud of like uh, instructionally lies what, what would you say is like what one of your biggest successes there are two things I think that come to mind from this past year and um, I think if I didn't have the group of students that I had I think it's all kind of dependent on them wanting to step up and, and take on the challenge it would have never happened um, so the first in the fall I did a computer programming class and I was just blown away at how immersed a lot of the students became in building their own video game so um, you, you know it, it, the, the range of the video games range from you know they just did it to get it done and a lot of them really invested a ton of time um, to get something functional working and the the really cool part was at the um, the demonstration of learning that evening um, I it was in that period of time in the year where things kind of get rough it was uh, I was you know emotionally kind of drained at that point and things were just like not going well on a, on a lot of different fronts but um, the DOL night sort of switched around for me because I saw that these students uh, who took a lot of pride in the work that they were doing in class they were stepping up um, in the, the prep sessions afterward really were developing um, their own sort of personal twist on the project so the the idea was that we were doing a video game that taught some audience some sort of skill. Um, and so a lot of them geared it toward younger brothers and sisters, siblings, cousins, to teach them like basic math or reinforce basic math or just anything like that. And they got really, really excited about getting different aspects to work. And I thought that was one class where if one student had figured out how to do a certain thing, like get gravity to work in their game, for example, 
they would be willing to share that with other students. Um, and so that was a really, a really cool, like, hey, take a look at this. These guys knocked this out of the park. It was all, go ahead. I'll, I'll attest to that too, because like I, I saw some of that happening during that time, because mm -hmm. I, I remember coming into that class a couple times and mm -hmm. talking with the students about their video game projects. Mm -hmm. And it was, you could tell like there's just like this palpability about just their excitement about not just their own mm -hmm. project, but also supporting each other. And, and, the, and I think the thing that I'm learning to do more as we go more into project, or I'm going more into project-based learning, um, is to set up the structure where, you know, the students can kind of switch whatever levers they want to switch to take the project to the direction that they want to. Literally all I told them was, you need to make a video game that has um, X number of features, you know, if it has levels, it has to have this number of levels, it has to have, you know, this, this, and this. Um, and it has to teach somebody something, and you have to specify who that is. But beyond that, like, go nuts, like, create your own artwork, you know, create your own, you know, theme and design and that sort of a thing. Um, and certain students will, they'll gravitate towards it and, and go nuts. Other students, you know, will need different, um, you know, different brainstorming sessions, for example, or just ways of getting started because they don't, you know, it's so overwhelming, they don't know where to start. And so they kind of just, they plug in at the right spot and, and go from there. And some of the students, um, you know, the programming language that we were using is this thing called Scratch, which is like block-based. And so they just drag and drop things in, but some students wanted the additional challenge on top of that. So um, I was like, hey, great, cool. Let's, you know, jump over to this thing called processing, which is text-based and, um, you know, a little more intense. And I was blown away um, by how far some of those students really took that. Um, some of them really went um, just sort of content-wise in scope and sequence a lot deeper than I had ever taken students in a first-year programming course. So um, I was like, yep, we've got a lot of a lot of untapped talent, I think, and they just need the right prompts to get to where they need to go. So, What do you attest to um, sort of like that high level of engagement mostly? Um, I think it's, it, 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 computer programming is one of those things like if, if you like it, it is super addicting. Um, and so I think for a lot of those students, it was this problem that they really wanted to figure out. And then there's this immediate gratification. If, it, if you get it going, if you get it working, then that, that's the immediate reward. And so that cycle um, for a lot of people is, is very addictive. And so like for me, that, that's one of the reasons I, I like computer programming. And if I can you know, sort of share that with students, I think that's what they like about it. Um, and then um, I think you know, on the flip side, it can also be very frustrating. And so um, it helps build uh, what I think um, that a lot, of our, a lot of students these days are accused of is not having problem solving skills. I was, on a, was watching a PD this morning from another uh, place um, that we're affiliated with and the, the accusation was the kids these days are just not problem solvers. And I mean, it's an overgeneralization, but I think it's just, they just need to know, they need to be taught how to actually do that. So, um, and, you know, work through like that idea of, of being more resilient through those challenges. So um, it's not just a generation, like this batch of kids turned out to be not problem solvers. And we know it's something else kind of cooking there, so. So how do we get there? Like, what do you, do you have strategies that you sort of use to um, set the kids up to become those problem solvers because you know it's easy to yeah. kind of say like you just need to problem solve better right. versus like <laughs> figure it out yeah um, I think uh, and I I struggle with like how to do this the the gradual release model I think is is something that um, gets talked about a lot but we I, I like I'm not perfect at doing it but it's providing the right amount of struggle. And I think um, in different years in, in teaching, this is gonna be my seventh year now, um, you know, in, in different years of the last six years of teaching, you know, the, the focus has been on um, rigor, and not rigor in terms of difficulty, but rigor in terms of appropriate productive struggle. So if you provide productive struggle and provide the experience for students to go through that, and then get them to reflect on that, 
And so that's one of the things um, built into um, our STEM lab curriculum is a lot of it is on reflection. And so like, what is a challenge that you encountered? So you, you learn to be resilient, I, th I think, by reflecting on a time that was difficult and then thinking like, well, what was the thought process that I went going through that? Um, and I think that is where, like this past year, I struggled to have deeper engagement with those questions. But um, I think for the upcoming year, that's when I'm gonna hopefully get a little bit deeper. Like, no, let's focus on like when stuff isn't going well, like what are your strategies? Think harder, you know, try harder. No, that's not gonna, not gonna, not gonna, that's not specific enough. And so um, I think providing the experiences to struggle and then having students reflect on the struggle. And the, the nice thing is that in a school environment, you can fail, the project can blow up completely and it's not the end of the world. Um, so. I'm, I'm actually really glad you brought that up with the failure because I want to get yeah. to that next. But I also just want to kind of chime in. I, I've just been thinking a little bit more about mm -hmm. this idea of productive struggle and it's, you know, one of those core like bases in student-directed learning mm -hmm. that I think is um, a really challenging um, component to like find that sweet spot to get them to a point where like, yes, they're going to be challenged and um, but yet they're still able to access it. You know, there's mm -hmm. that zone of proximal development that yep. um, students need to be able to like work within. Um, how do you kind of like allow for access for everybody, but still like push their thinking in these in these areas? I think it's sort of knowing where they're at, and I again, it's one of the things I will probably continue to get better at throughout um, teaching is just figuring out where each student is at. And that kind of gets to this idea of um, differentiation, but it's also you know just making sure that every student feels like they belong in the classroom, is that they wherever they're at, they can actually plug in to what it is. And so um, when I think of the computer science, uh, the computer programming project, um, that project you know, they, I could have provided them, you know, like a little starter game to get going if they had just felt completely overwhelmed. Or maybe, you know, we sat down and brainstormed together through a couple of different ideas that they could do. And then I could help scope it up like, okay, today you need to work on this specific thing using this piece of starter code. Um, Whereas students who maybe have a better idea of what they want to do will kind of just not need anything and just go go to it. So um, having like I always start with like with that project I started with like I built the game that I, I thought would be an example game of what I wanted them to do and then I backed out of it and said okay here's like if like in the first day like here's what someone could work on to get this piece going here's another piece here's another piece and kind of broke it down that way. Um, yeah. I, also, I think I've gotten better at asking questions that hopefully get students to think about where they need to go, rather than saying, "Well, do this." Like, well, what if you tried this, or what if you tried that? Um, and that's one of the things that is part of our STEM lab curriculum that we'll be this doing this year. A lot of it is letting students struggle, but um, there's a set of questions that we can use to ask them how to get, basically to help them get unstuck from where they're at. Um, great, I have more questions about the okay. later. <laughs> um, did, you, did you have another success that you wanted to mention? You said oh, you there, was, there was one, um, it was in AP English this year and it was it hit right, we launched the project right before the pandemic. The idea uh, of this particular project was um, looking at school and what would you change about school? Um, whatever aspect it was and there was this group that really got in got into the idea of they um, again it was self-directed so they thought school spirit is you know okay but it could be a whole lot better and they really dug into it and got really excited about it and um, it was an opportunity for them to work with some administrators um, to ask some hard questions and also dig around. They also helped me coach them on how to ask things that might be like a little charged, a little loaded. Um, we got to work on putting together surveys. So these, this particular group um, you know, built a survey and we kind of walked through some of the questions that might have not gotten the answers that they were, they were hoping for. So it was, I felt it was like 
authentic in that there are some real life skills that they were pulling from this. It's like, well, if you're gonna ask this person this, I would maybe like phrase it like that, just kind of knowing how they operate and they kind of figured out how, how to rephrase different questions um, and um, just approach people, you know, of different personalities um, with, with that sort of thing. Um, it, I think it was also successful because I think some uh, part of that group wants to take it and hopefully turn it into a capstone. I'm not sure where that's kind of evolved now that we're all on summer break, but we'll see when we come back together on the flip side what, what has become of it. So, yeah, I'm really looking forward to that because that's that's really exciting work to like have some sort of like agent of change, like starting yeah. from the student's perspective mm -hmm. of things and. Um, and you know the idea of like distributed leadership and you know like just working collectively together as a community to support your community um, I'm, I'm excited to see that level of excitement like continue and maybe and hopefully like expand mm -hmm. to more just in the um, idea of like improving the school spirit and um, camaraderie if you will mm -hmm. yeah so we'll see see where it shakes out so. yeah um, what's been your best failure it's been my best failure. Um, oh, that's a good one. I gotta think about that. <laughs> and I, th I think the idea this this term failure or fail is like, you know, it has this negative connotation mm -hmm. that it shouldn't exist, right? Like we should embrace failure. And I think, yeah. in, in my opinion, I think we need to celebrate failures as much as we celebrate successes, um, because those are um, the areas where you really learn to to grow and develop as a human mm -hmm. like in, in your biggest failures um, so that you can then transcend that and like take that and turn it into a success for you or mm -hmm. learn from it in a different way um, so I guess maybe a different way to ask that question maybe um, what's been your biggest like learning experience um, from something that didn't go as well as you wanted it to the first time. I think I'm, I'll pull the example from the beginning of this year. We had, I'd gone to a, the district-wide restorative practices training. Um, we had done all the new tech training. So I went in uh, to the, um, the year with all of these tools and like ready to go. And I had um, the freshman exploratory class which I was very excited about um, from the get-go because it was gonna be an opportunity for students to explore pathways before they elected into them. And the first, there was just some bad chemistry um, that first, with my first rotation. Um, just problems I hadn't ever really come across before, like severe disengagement from like day one of school. And I could not wrap my head around like, why are we so disengaged? Why are we not doing and like participating in this and that? And so I allowed myself to get triggered like a bunch of different times um, with that particular rotation. And I think it was in one of the follow-up NTN sessions where they, you know, they had to remind us about the amygdala hijack and like all that stuff. I'm like, okay, for the second rotation, I have got to approach things a lot differently. Um, because with that that first rotation it just there you know we I think we all couldn't wait for the first six weeks to be done because I think we just could not handle each other anymore um, and so um, I think the second rotation I, you know probably it was just the same there's the same chemistry involved you know but the way that I approached it was a lot calmer um, and just really not allowing behavior that most likely had nothing to do with me feel like um, it was like my fault or I was involved in whatever drama was going on personally. So um, that's one of the things that has been a theme like classroom management wise, management wise coming up is, you know, CLR depersonalize it. It is not about you. It is whatever else is going on in the student or these students lives. And then they, you know, are very crafty about how to sort of direct it to you so that you can take it personally. And so that is something that is a constant struggle. I have to constantly remind myself to just like, yeah, it's not about you. Like it's whatever's going on. So just like handle it calmly, address it, deal with it. Um, and the rest of the, the exploratory rotations went 
pretty well after that. Um, just because you took a different approach? Just a different approach. Yeah, yeah just a different approach. And it, it's, it's such a hard thing to do to like not take these like very oh, yeah. targeted <laughs> like personal comments yeah. like to heart and like to be able to yeah my first year of teaching was just a, it was a train wreck because i just every every single thing that went wrong or every sort of comment back or whatever was i took it very personally and like i you know my my mentor at the time had to pull me aside he's like you can't like take everything so personally it is so not about you yep. <laughs> so um it's hard yeah it is hard to do so that kind of actually leads into kind of this next topic or subject on on yeah. equity. Like this, yeah. is, it's a big term right now. It's like such an important work because of like just like the era that we're living in, mm -hmm. and um, our school in particular, which is like an extremely diverse school. Um, what do you feel like, just from your perspective? Like, what does an equitable education for our students at Arvada look like? I I think. Um, and I think the, the term gets redefined a lot as we sort of grapple with it. Um, for me right now, it means that every student gets what they need to be successful, to be as successful as they want to be. Um, and so that inherently implies that not everybody's gonna get the same thing. Some people are going to need more resources. And I think when we, the traditional like quality version is everybody gets the same amount of resources and then when we look back and look at equity it's like well everybody gets the resources that we need but then we've got to go beyond resources and think of um, inclusion which is a big term that keeps coming up and so i think um, part of equity is you're getting the resources that you need to be successful but you're also included like you are part of the classroom you're not like just hanging out on the outside or you're whatever but you are um, part of the classroom community, you you see yourself in the curriculum, and I think there's a lot of really cool work in computer science education going on um, to help students see themselves in that field and as as future professionals in that field, because there's been a long-standing inequity for decades, centuries, where. Um, certain people are just not represented in the field at all. And so I think, um, you know, we're seeing some really exciting work on that, that front. The past, this past year, actually, the Computer Science Teachers Association had a whole cohort of equity fellows, um, folks that were computer science educators focused on increasing, um, increasing numbers, if you will, but like increasing, uh, figuring out strategies to help students feel included um, in computer science education so that they could, if they so wanted down the road, if they wanted to become um, a software developer or any of the many, many professions that exist within computer science, they, they would have no problem thinking of themselves in that because they feel like they could, um, they, they were represented. Um, and so I think it's, it's, those are the two things I'm sort of grappling with right now is how does everybody get what they need and how does everybody feel like they are they are included in um, what we're doing in the classroom community. Do you have any examples of maybe something that you took away from that or mm -hmm. just inherently used to promote equity in your own classroom? So one of the things, um, I, I taught this course um, in the past. I, I taught pieces of it um, this past year in computer programming. Um, it's called um, was that ECE? Exploring Computer Science. It's like an introductory computer science course. And they've actually, um, it's a research project funded by the NSF that um, really focused on including um, activities that were representative of other cultures. So um, what they would do um, is they would take um, uh, Native American beating, and they would actually show um, some of the. You could you could actually develop algorithms to um, create some of the patterns. They would see the uh, students would see the geometric patterns in that um, in in the um, in the beadwork. Um, the I think there was also something with traditional African braiding. They would see um, some of the uh, the the patterns. Their um, developing an algorithm to create uh, the different kinds of braiding patterns. 
Uh, also part of it is I um, would highlight different people from um, computer science over the years who have made contributions. So people from the LGBT community like Alan Turing who is considered the father of computer science or uh, Skip Ellis who is a professor of computer science out at, at, at UC Boulder who was one of the first African Americans to get a PhD in computer science and he actually was partly were wholly responsible it kind of, kind of debates um, for the idea of like when you click an icon on a, on a program like it launches a program like that was something that somebody had to think of doing and Skip Ellis uh, was one of the people that was responsible for that idea so showing students um, that there's somebody who looks like them um, or is like them um, that in the field that they're like yeah, yeah I could do that you know that that's something that I like somebody who's like me uh, has gone on and, and been in that field I could totally do that have you brought anybody like physically into the building as like a guest speaker or anything yet, not or yet that... yeah I'm terrible at guest speakers is <laughs> <laughs> one, one of the things I need to um, start doing because um, you know working those connections out in, out in the, the field and actually bringing in um, people yeah it I think it um, it's challenging for sure and yeah. like time to like coordinate the scheduling but I do think that the some of those benefits might have even like more like stronger connections for yeah. those kids to be able to be like okay I really connect to this in a different way now mm -hmm. because I'm like probing this person and able yeah. to like not just learn about them but directly from them uh, yep. um, question about um, <laughs> sort of like we, we've had a rough <laughs> rough springtime uh both nationally and uh, in arvada with uh this remote learning yeah. situation um <laughs> what did you do during the remote learning to like i guess keep your students engaged yeah it wasn't um the most amazing um and i'll be totally honest about that i think i i relied on what i had been doing through the the school year and i think that kept those who were already engaged kind of a float and so um, I'd spent a lot of time kind of figuring out the whole idea of agendas and, and that sort of thing so I think that pro that part provided continuity for them um, the agenda function and echo is what I'm talking about um, and we had already done a lot of our work online and so already kind of existing in this digital format was very familiar for my students because we just kind of continued that I went a week, I think the two weeks before spring break, um, I think, I don't think I did any sort of virtual meetings. Um, and I, I think over spring break, I realized that I'm not like, I'm not seeing these students. I'm not hearing from them. I just see them submitting stuff. So I'm only engaging with their work product and that gets really draining after a while. Um, so one of the things that I started doing after spring break was doing a 15 minute to 30 minute um, daily check-in. Um, so they could do that for attendance um, or, you know, because we were trying to be as flexible as possible. Um, if they couldn't make that meeting, then they could schedule a one-on-one -on -one with me to do that. Um, couple of students did that once or twice um, and so that actually provided a little bit more continuity but I think as I'll, probably a lot of us found in those meetings um, it was just me talking and students didn't really want to engage with their voice if anything they would just text type and I don't know that's an interesting I'm sure that's a PhD thesis out there is like why is everybody text typing whereas you know an other adult um, you know, in our Friday Family Friday meetings or in other uh, meetings, we, like we just exist as adults, exist in the space as is video and perfectly comfortable. But our students, I was finding, were very not comfortable with that video space. And they just preferred to silence their uh, videos, which was fine, and then just text type their um, their answers. It is an interesting phenomenon yeah. that actually happened because I thought it would be a bit opposite, just like yeah. student comfortability with right. technology in comparison. Yeah. And maybe it's just something that was so foreign to them, mm -hmm. like never had developed any like skill set or tools around to like yeah. engage um, with adults or with peers, um, you know, in a virtual setting before. Yeah, it was, um, yeah. It was sort of, yeah. So I, I felt like that in-person dynamic in the classroom got lost. 
Um, one of the things that really started to, that I thought really helped and I got feedback from students that they really liked was in Echo, there is a video feedback function and you can record two minutes of video. So even for like silly little, like your daily check-in, I would record like a, a video, like a you know, half a minute to a minute video, just saying, hey, what's going on? How are you doing? Um, so that they could at least have that um, video feedback um, that they still like saw that I was a real person. <laughs> Um, one of the other things I did was I didn't throw a lot of new content at them because I just didn't know what they were up to, like, in, you know, what they were able to process during that time because a lot of kids uh, who shifted their work schedules because um, they needed to work. And so, hey, the day's open. Let's work during the day and, like, do it at night. Um, had students who were responsible for younger brothers and sisters, like all the things that we know that our students face. And so... Um, I try to keep the workload a little more manageable, but um, engagement went down like big time um, on my end. And I, I, I think I could have done a better job of like calling and reaching out and that sort of a thing. Um, and I was just trying to like teaching remotely is it turned out I thought, oh, this won't be as, you know, will be less work and it turned out to be like a lot more work. Mm -hmm. just to make sure that things were super crystal clear because mm -hmm. uh, we have the, had the luxury of the classroom to be able to explain on the spot and process. Um, one of the other things I did to help push engagement, at least with English classes, as I scheduled mandatory um, video chats about essays. <laughs> so, um, so it would be like having a mandatory writing conference, so like a one-on-one -on -one chat. So that was one of the cool things is that students that would normally be um, reluctant in a classroom to be, uh, you know, sharing and talking and that sort of thing. That one-to-one -one function really helped keep certain students engaged. That would have maybe gotten lost by the wayside. So, um, I'm hoping. I think today we find out what the fall plan is. So, um, I'm hoping that it it's something that will um, give us a little bit of time to plan for what the fall looks like. Um, but also provide that I think I, I personally need to go back one you know, like in in the building you know with students in front of me because I think that's uh, one of the things that um, that in-person dynamic is is really important absolutely um, if we may if we do need to do anything remotely like what what may be shifts will you make moving forward or what would you have done differently than before? I know you already mentioned that you would have called a little bit more frequently. Or, yeah, I think I, I think a couple of the things I'll, I'll do if, if we need to go, and I think students will still have the option of going remotely too. So if they drop off, I think just being on it a little bit more with the families to keep them engaged is going to be important because I think it was just easy to say, oh, okay, I'll reach out to them next week <laughs> or I think someone else has reached out I'm looking at the tracker someone else has reached out um, and really I think if it's easy to yeah I think this spring it was probably very easy for students just to kind of just say Meh, I'll fall through the cracks and the next next fall will all be different but really like if you've established that pattern it's gonna be really hard to break that so that's so that's one of the things you know tighter follow-up um, and hopefully maybe as a staff, we can have more coordinated follow-up. So not everybody is like hitting the family at the exact same time. Because <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, I can imagine that getting super overwhelming. Um, and, and hopefully, you know, if, 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 if we have to go remotely, I think if I'm able to um, require like the face-to-face the, the -face video check-in, um, I think that would be super important and super helpful because that helps build that classroom culture, that classroom community that we have. Um, and I think uh, the third thing I'm going to do, um, there was a PD um, that one of my CTE licensure teachers, like we have to take these CTE licensure classes, and she gave a little PD on how to leverage online discussion boards so that they're just not sort of this perfunctory thing. I'm going to check that out and see how we can use discussion boards more effectively to build classroom community and classroom culture and engagement so that sounds awesome hopefully if it is successful it's something we can like do a pd around or yeah. teach each other around uh, some good practices there it's been a lot of i think 
learning experiences from things that didn't work and mm-hmm. did work in the fall yep. like, um, but nobody asked to be in the situation and it was definitely right. a challenging situation for for a lot of people particularly like teachers that had students or, or had kids of their own that they were simultaneously trying to help and then you didn't know like what's really happening at home so I really uh, related to everything that you could sort of like share there and I appreciate your um, in, like efforts to try to engage as much as possible yeah, yeah. <laughs> we'll see how it goes. <laughs> yeah, totally. Um, we'll find out. Um, let's talk a little bit about next year. Like, I know that we're not quite sure mm-hmm. exactly at this point in time. Like, right now it is the 8th of July. I'm sure that when I post this podcast, it will be well into August and people will, will already know what our plans are um, structurally. But, like, any, like, Thing that you're really looking forward to next year um, provided that we're gonna have some capacity in the school yeah there is so much cool stuff happening um, uh, there I think from a class perspective um, we're gonna do we're offering AP computer science principles this year for the first time at Arvada it'll be my second time teaching the class and I actually got to be an AP reader this summer reviewing projects so I'm coming in with like a whole bunch of just cool ideas we were able to get it cross-listed with red rocks so kids can take that course for concurrent enrollment so i think just in terms of opportunities that students have that's like a huge one and that particular ap test if a student scores high enough on it will actually qualify for proficiency for english and math for graduation so just a ton of different um, we've got like a, a pretty full section of, of students, and so I'm um, really, really excited about that particular opportunity. Also, the STEM lab, um, in terms of like stuff, the STEM lab is done, and that's that space in the back of the library that has been uh, been worked on all spring. They actually finished it up, uh, finished installing things last week, I think. Um, and so, that just comes equipped with a ton of different um, equipment, toys, you know, like educational toys. But really, there's actually a whole curriculum that comes with it that's uh, project-based, um, student-driven, student exploration. Students design their own projects, and, and really, if, if, a, if a project fails, it's not the end of the world. Um, it's an, a way for them to get into STEM, and that lab can actually be used by any anybody in the building. Um, so as long as there's not like another class scheduled in there, so. Um, so if a teacher wanted to sort of like access some of these things, yeah. like it would be the best uh, way for them to like learn about the um, opportunities. In they that should lab. come talk to me. Talk to you, okay? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Because it, it the idea is that um, like I'm set up as what's called the primary facilitator for the lab. They use the same terminology as as New Tech does. So uh, for a lot of reasons, like that, the two programs are really compatible. Um, but the um, the idea is that you know we have the formal uh, they're called creative learning systems. That's the company. It's out of Longmont. Um, so CLS one, CLS two. Those are the STEM lab classes. But like if you were um, say engaging in a physics, you know AP physics course, and you needed um, some different kinds of equipment, they have they have we have. Uh, like a pneumatic set and we have all sorts of different equipment that students could use to help you know reinforce their knowledge um, I, I, I haven't even gone through all of this stuff out there um, I, I one I haven't been able to get in the building but just the list of different things that they have but the coolest thing that they have is drones so awesome. um, hopefully hoping that the idea of a student learning how to use a drone um, it provides a level of, of engagement that might not, um, with other things, might not they might not get excited about. But drones are just cool. So they are. They fly. <laughs> they fly. Like, <laughs> um, and there's some other you know opportunities to you know talk into uh, Mr. Q about um, you know, maybe getting students. Uh, I like we there's a lot of like legal things that we have to go through um, with getting being able to take that drone outside, but. Um, a school I visited in Keensburg actually like their um, they have a, a capstone class for that lab and they decided to basically create a drone business mm, nice. and so the district is talking to them about filming the athletics events and so there's some really good cross-curricular opportunity uh, with the sports business pathway 
with that particular uh, piece of technology that's already sort of built in and ready to go. So, um, you know, and there's just, just a ton of different opportunities with that. Um, I'm one thing that's in process because I've been wanting to go back to my like language teaching roots for a little while now. Um, uh, the Computer Science Teachers Association uh, offer or put out like it's uh, an application for people to be, um, they call them CS for EL. So it's like computer science for like English language learners. I think that's one. Um, population of students that I think a lot of people um, in education miss like we, we try to do what we can and you know a lot of the times what we're doing isn't enough to keep those students engaged help them be successful all that stuff and so this is a, it's a cohort that I apply to I haven't heard anything yet but I'm hoping it works out um, they provide intense PD um, and um, you know trying different strategies to make computer science curriculum available for English language learners and so that's something cool that I hope will come to pass. That's really we'll awesome. See how that shakes out. So I'm so excited that you're excited. Like I yeah. can just tell from this your face that on. people yeah. that are listening can't see your face, but like you're like lighting up with like all these cool yeah, things. All that the things are going on this that's coming awesome. year. So we'll see what, what shakes out. Very good. Let's like hope that we can be back in full capacity yeah. at some point soon. Um, tell me about um, personal goals that you have, just pro like professional, personal goals. Like, is there anything that you really hope to see accomplished um, this year for yourself? I think last, at the beginning of last year, I really wanted to focus on this idea of what I called like instructional design. Thinking like, okay, how can I design my course in Echo to be, and this was like way before the pandemic even like came, like was even on the radar. It was like, I really want to focus on just like, what is good instructional design in like this system called Echo and like to help students engage in and out of the classroom? And so I think that's going to continue to be a goal. It has to be a goal because, uh, you know, in March we got sprung on us like, okay, all your stuff has to be remoteable now. So good luck. <laughs> and so I think, um, you know, this whole cadre of, you know, instructional designers who have been doing this work for years has come to the forefront and, and have been you know sharing their expertise through webinars and you know there's obviously lots of opportunities for them to now make money uh, um, selling off-the-shelf curricula and all that stuff but I think that's one of the things I want to get better at is um, how do we how do we craft experiences hybrid experiences or completely remote experiences for students that they can f feel comfortable with so and, and feel like they're actually learning something and not being shortchanged. I think that's one of the, the things that some of my students this spring felt is that um, by going remote and loosening um, some of the requirements, if you will, they felt like some of the stuff got shortchanged. Um, and so how do we, especially with these seniors, we're, we want to make sure that they have as best of an experience as they have before they go off to college. So Totally. Um, kind of wrapping up here in time. I'm not even sure how long we've almost been talking for an hour. I think. Okay. Um, so hopefully people are still listening. <laughs> um, do you have um, like what would you say would be like your biggest piece of advice? Uh, like something that maybe that you you've taken away as an educator over your time, or something that you've learned that if you were just starting off your career, mm -hmm. or if you were. Um, earlier in your career, what would you say to your old self? Two big things. One, um, don't take it personally. <laughs> I think that was like my biggest uh, learning lesson and that's something I continue to work on. The second thing um, is what my husband reminds me of all the time is like you can only do one thing at a time. And so don't try to do all the things. Just focus on the one thing that you can do right now and do it focus on one thing at a time so and I think he, one of his mentors told him that so those those two things are excellent pieces of advice so yeah. thank you so much for uh, sharing your insights and uh, it was really a pleasure to just kind of get to know you better yeah. here today um, we talked a lot about you know 
um, just your past and um, so I found that this time just to be like really enlightening for me um, personally so I'm hoping that other people in the school kind of feel the same same way and um, thank you again so much for being here and um, I look forward to getting to know you even better this year cool sounds good All right, thanks Thank you so much for listening to our very first podcast. If you're still listening, I have a real quick favor. I'd love your feedback on what you may like to hear from your colleagues and the community at Arvada. So if you have any ideas or questions you'd like me to ask, please reach out to me with any feedback. Also, I do not yet have a title for this podcast, so I'd love your thoughts on this. Again, the goal is to hear and learn from the people in our community in the hope of having deeper understandings of each other and building stronger relationships. Let me know your ideas. I'd love to hear from you. Thanks again for tuning in, and I hope to hear from you all soon. Have a...